AI is not new, right? So, you know, artificial intelligence, as you put it, I like to think of it as augmented intelligence. Humans can't be removed from this equation. So I think the bigger reason why it's so explosive now is the news around generative AI. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged. News and views this week with two very special guests who are going to be talking about the hottest topic in transit and almost any other uh, industry around the world, and that is AI, artificial intelligence. We've got Eve McCall and Renee Autumn Ray. Thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. We also have with us, I'm excited, uh, Tris Hussey, our podcast editor and producer extraordinaire, who's going to be joining the panel with some questions today. Thanks, Tris. Hey, you're welcome, Paul. Great. It's a great hot topic. Yeah. AI, artificial intelligence. How are we using it in public transportation? That's the topic today. Eve McCall uh, is the America's Director of Aviation and Transportation Industry Strategy within the Microsoft Worldwide Public Sector Organization. She's presented on AI and transportation at the Apta Tech conference, which is where I saw her speak, went up afterwards and met her and said, I've got to get you on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, so thank you so much for graciously agreeing to do that. She also sits on the steering committee of the Airports Council International, has led numerous executive briefings for transportation leaders to help demystify the responsible use of AI. So again, Eve, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Such an exciting topic. And like you said, you know, it's ubiquitous can't put the genie back in the bottle. So it's a great opportunity for us to really showcase the, the potential right now and also in the future. That's great. And Renee, Autumn Ray has worked, it sounds like uh, you're a chef. Isn't there somebody named Ray that <laughs> does cooking on TV? <laughs> Renee, Autumn Ray. I love that name. I do. I do get a lot of Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but and, and, uh, for this podcast, she is the transportation technology and policy issues is what she works with and has worked in the government agencies and with those topics for over 15 years. She's the senior director of transportation policy at Hayden AI uh, a global leader in mobile bus enforcement systems, and recently published a report, which I read and got my interest, Understanding AI and Transportation with the Eno Center. So I immediately emailed Rob Puentes, who heads up the group, who's a friend of mine. I was actually with him in D.C. last week and said, hey, <laughs> can we get Renee on our podcast? And he said, sure, I'll connect it up. She serves as the Transportation Research Board Innovative Public Transportation Services and Technology Committee and on the ITS uh, Intelligent Transportation Systems Committee. She holds a master's degree in urban planning from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Renee, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, excited to be here. Excited to talk with Eve again. Um, we've been on a panel once or twice before and uh, certainly appreciate being invited to join the Transit Unplugged podcast and video. Great. Good to get the band back together then. So uh, so let's kick right into it. Um, let me start with you, Eve. Uh, AI is a massive part of news and culture right now. I mean, you can't you can't turn on anything like you said. Ubiquitous is a perfect word for it. Uh, what are the places where AI is helping transportation right now? So, you know, I want to start by commenting: AI is not new, right? So, you know, artificial intelligence, um, as you put it, um, I like to think of it as augmented intelligence. Humans can't be removed from this equation. So I think the bigger reason why it's so explosive now is the news around generative AI. 
So to your point, you know, where is AI appropriate in transit today? That's a long story. And I can't wait for Renee's answer because her her white paper was very thoughtful about that. So AI today, there's a number of different scenarios around object detection and computer vision being able to identify from video analytics, all sorts of content that the human-assisted capability just can't process 6,000 screens in real time, right? So how do we leverage object detection to identify anomalies around um, inspection, things like roadways and in the airfield, you know, Part 139, self-certified runway inspections is one example of many, Um, and especially around safety. You know, that's something that's both public safety and security from a you know, transit perspective, but also, again, across all sorts of government services. That's one example. Um, And then generative AI is being able to even take that up a notch. But I don't really want to conflate the two, but I did want to call that out because I think that there is a lot of confusion right now because of the emergence and access of generative AI as well. Can you explain what that is real briefly? What is generative AI? Yes. So generative AI is the ability to take these AI large language models or large learning models and um, interact with it and and query it where you're going to generate additional insights. I confess I am not um, a technologist relative to Microsoft people. I'm not a data scientist. So I will defer the answer to that question as well to those who probably have greater knowledge. But the fact that there is so much access today with massive compute and storage capabilities, and especially being able to use natural language to interact with the data is the difference today where people can use ChatGPT and just write a a natural question and get results back. In the case of ChatGPT in the open domain, there are some uh, limitations around when these models were trained, the fact that the data is open source, there's risk of receiving hallucinations or creative answers that may not be real. And those are some of the risks today. That's not a universal comment around generative AI. You know, Microsoft has an approach that helps create security around that and um, eliminate or reduce those hallucinations and use data security for applying it in an enterprise way. Um, but those are some of the features around generative AI today that when people look at ChatGPT and start typing um, in a web, web browser, um, that's, that's yeah. a different version of AI as compared to, for example, the object detection I was referring to earlier. Right. That's good. Because that's what a lot of people are exposed to. But we are starting to see, Renee, uh, AI being used in, in public transportation. Can you talk to us some about what you've seen so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say, too, Eve made some great points about how long artificial intelligence has been part of the background of what we've been doing. So, you know, if you shop on Amazon or you take Netflix recommendations, AI has been part of your consumer experience. But I do think it is chat GPT being something that people could really touch and feel and interact with directly and the the rise of the at least the concept of generative AI. Um I think there's some disagreement about how much that that really exists today or, or when it's coming. One thing that I that really surprised me when I was in the course of writing this policy brief for the Eno Center is there are a lot of ideas and pilots and projects on the use of artificial intelligence. But I would say to date, 
a lot of the use of it has been um, more in the background. So, for instance, if you think of a company like like Microsoft that's providing Office Suite or other like large platform tools that public agencies use, that is a more likely place where you might find artificial intelligence than directly in terms of specific tools or services that public agencies are procuring. I will say a best practice from agencies that are using AI, frankly, is, is Hayden AI, the company that I work for and one of the reasons that I went to work for them. So, for instance, New York MTA has been using uh, automated mobile bus lane enforcement for the past couple of years. They can now report 9% faster speeds on one of the bus routes in Queens that has had this technology. So, there are a few cases where you can see measurable positive outcomes in terms of operational performance through the use of artificial intelligence. But a lot of what I researched and wrote about in that policy brief is a little more nascent. Speaking on your policy brief, Renee, which was really fascinating, one of the things that I pulled out of it that I think many public ag- transit agencies and public agencies in general I've been thinking about is the challenges and requirements for using AI. There's all the questions of bias or where, like, Eve, as you point out, the data is old in some cases, years old. To both of you, Renee and Eve, what are these requirements that public agencies should be thinking about and what can they do about them? How have they surmounted these challenges or what are the things that they need to sort of line up before they can start bringing AI into their systems? Let me let me start and take a stab, and I know Eve's going to have some great um, follow-up points. I think it can be challenging when you think about artificial intelligence because if you just look at the news, they'll talk about how there's no comprehensive regulation of artificial intelligence that the federal government has handed down. That may be the case, but you know, public agencies already operate within a pretty robust set of regulations that guide. How do they collect data? What data are they able to collect? What are rules around, you know, data storage to protect things like, um, you know, personal identity? What are transparency rules around data collection and storage and analytics? And frankly, you know, public agencies are accountable to elected officials, you know, residents, citizens, taxpayers in a way that some of the consumer products that use AI really aren't. So I frankly think that introducing AI into the public sphere provides greater transparency and understanding for the public about what these tools mean and how they can be used ethically and responsibly. I'd love to add to that. And thank you so much, Brittany. I think that's very important to highlight that, you know, applying governance to these, this approach is not a new thing and is not limited to AI for that matter, right? So exactly as you've said. That said, you know, again, because generative AI is so um, accessible to people and there is a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt about how do we leverage this for enterprise and especially government scenarios, right? And Microsoft takes a very strong stance on the belief and implementation of the responsible use of AI. Um, At the conference that I'm at this week, um, an airport specifically referred to some of the policies that they put in place um, for their consideration. And again, I offer this to everyone else, just high level, some of the governance approaches that you might want to submit for your own internal use and, and reference, right? So some of, some of the data points here are do not feed it sensitive information, such as personal data or business secrets. 
uh, do not reference specific people or places, either individuals or locations. Limit detailed technical information. So don't be feeding it your vulnerabilities or exploits or highly specialized uh, knowledge language. Validate the answers when you get the, res- the, the return. Make sure, you know, again, human assisted. This is not like turning the world over to robots, right? That we're going to actually make sure um, that the answers are correct um, and that they're relevant and they're accurate and that you cross check. Evaluate the ethical implications of the use cases that you're querying with these types of models, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I per- personally, I, I love using uh, OpenAI through through Bing and Bing Chat, uh, leveraging some of those data protections that we have within the company and the, abil- the ability to tune it. But you brought up, Eve, that question, you know, we're not letting robots take over. This is not Skynet going to run buses around the world. So to both you, Eve and Renee, what are some things, and you touched on a few, that the agencies can do to allay public concerns and regulator concerns over, you know, what is, you know, what's going on? You know, what, you know, what are we using it for? How are we, how, what are our safety checks? What are those things that you think the public and regulators really want to know? I'll start from a public perception and communications perspective. And I think it's that transparency, right? So the scenarios and the policies that I just suggested from an internal governance perspective need to be shared, right? Providing that transparency on what you are using generative AI for um, as compared to, uh, you know, and, and making it available for the public to have that awareness, I would like to think would allay the concerns, right? By reinstating, reinforcing that, you know, with, this is a human assistive technology, right? We are trying to keep the streets safer by using video analytics to identify anomalies that will give us the opportunity to be more responsive rather than looking at all feeds of all cameras for things that haven't changed, right? But then a human is still involved in this conversation. So that's not as much a policy piece. So that's why I wanted to jump in on the perception part. I think it's about communication and transparency um, from a regulatory perspective. Um, that's not my area of expertise. So I'll pass the mic. For that. Yeah, I, I would piggyback on what Eve said that um, being very explicit that artificial intelligence is used to support the work and the decision making that a person is responsible for so that there's very clear accountability about um, who is responsible for decision making and who owns any consequences. Fantastic. Thanks, Trish. Great questions. So I want to get specific. Uh, Folks that listen to this show, most of them are in or around the public transit industry. I'd like to dive into a few of the ways that AI, artificial intelligence, or assisted intelligence, as you mentioned, Eve, is being used in transportation today. You'd mentioned one, uh, which is identifying anomalies. For instance, when I was CEO of the MTA, this was six years ago, we are, like you said, we already had the ability. Uh, We had cameras at all of our subway stations and our major bus hubs. And the camera, they would identify if somebody left a, a briefcase somewhere and walked away from it for more than X amount of seconds, it would zero in and bring it up to the main screen. So the police officer there in the police monitoring facility could see it and then send a live person to go check it out. So that's one way. What are some other ways, Eve, that you see it being used today in 2023, the fall of 2023? So again, not from a generative perspective, but regular AI. As we shared at the APTA conference back in August, there are scenarios around training and simulation using augmented reality or mixed reality capabilities. So there's the ability to interact 
with a digital version of an asset, the, the juxtaposition of a digital asset in the physical world and being able to uh, manipulate, you know, say a, um, a training component, you know, like you, you want to visualize in, in front of an actual, you know, bus engine, what a digital version of that might look like and how you can uh, reference training materials as an example, superimposed in your field of vision to have um, a better outcome or to be able to communicate back with the field. You know, if, if I'm a field worker and I can communicate back to um, a subject matter expert in, you know, the home office and have that shared visuals and interactions where the person might be able to take a, you know, a, a pen and draw circles that I can see uh, to help point out what I need to do next. So this is um, an example of mixed reality where you see the man on the right wearing um, a device that is projecting um, the digital image on the screen. So you see he's looking at his hand, but you can also see on the monitor up to the left that he can see notes um, in a blue box and an image to the left of that of a, um, you know, a schematic of, of a drawing or, or, uh, or an asset. And then I'm going to try to play this video on the next slide where you see the gentleman is interacting with a digital version of a part. And now he's going to walk over and compare it to the part that he actually needs to uh, work with in, in the physical space. So that's an example awesome. of um, augmented reality or mixed reality um, where, where you see the digital device in space aligning with a physical with the, with the physical world so that you're interacting with both. That's one example. Yeah, I like the example you gave. You had it up on the screen. Probably easier for people to see it than hear it. But uh, basically, it was a mechanic behind a bus at the engine, and they were seeing how they could fit a component, a part, into the bus engine and manipulate it around. It wasn't really there, but it looked like it was in their hands, and they could see how to fit it in rather than getting their fingers all jammed up and cut up. They could practice it first. So that's a real practical way. That, that is so fantastic. I, I, I keep thinking from Paul addressed the safety concern and then training when someone is maybe trying an unfamiliar part, being able to put that in and not break a several hundred, several thousand dollar part. It happens, right? Uh, th that is a truly amazing application of these technologies. Yeah. Uh, and I'll say, Eve, I, I love this example. Um, and, and frankly, I think a lot of times when we work in technology, we just kind of focus on the shiny and the new. And these fleets uh, that transit agencies operate are, you know, so expensive, so valuable, and they need to work for years. And I think the fact that you've got a use case that enables agencies to keep those in a state of good repair for longer uh, is really powerful and really relevant to the transit industry. Another reason why I think that um, this transit agency in particular found this so compelling is we have an ever aging and retiring workforce, right? So the institutional knowledge that comes with um, those field workers, those frontline workers that interface with the equipment, um, as they retire, that knowledge goes with them. So being able to, first of all, attract um, and retain a younger workforce that is interested in leveraging technology it is a little shiny and cool, but also practical, right? So I'm much more interested in doing that job if I have these innovative tools that I can leverage rather than a white binder that I have to flip through that's going to be 
onerous and tedious and heavy and not accessible in the field. And then also being able to maintain this for other use and other people, you know, behind me that is not, you know, dependent just on my brain are some of the reasons why I think that this is taking hold for transit agencies. And Renee, what examples do you have? So a couple of examples that I'm really excited about. Um, It's been seven or eight years ago, but uh, I was having a conversation with a friend at the GM level at a large transit agency. And he told me, I get so much data in so many reports and none of them help me do my job um, because a lot of the data that agencies receive tends to be more about contract compliance and less about compiling into a single dashboard for insights. So I'm really excited about the possibility for machine learning to take some of the existing data sets and develop greater insights to help agencies perform their work. Um, The other one is a little more based on large language models. Um, I have talked with an agency that's looking at using generative AI to basically take, you know, complex thousands of pages long documentation and making it readily available, you know, what is actually valuable to answer a question that, you know, an agency or even a member of the public may have about how, um, you know, work gets done. And, you know, as someone who uh, has been involved in some of the, um, you know, large and complex but necessary, you know, environmental review programs that we have in place for major capital projects, the ability to reduce the time and the labor hours to go through some of that, you know, those bureaucratic processes, I think is going to be really valuable, especially as we consider, you know, how we're going to bring some of our infrastructure needs into the 21st century and create a much stronger and safer multimodal network. That's great. Can either of you speak to predictive maintenance, how AI is being used by uh, bus garages, for instance, to do predictive maintenance? Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, So I think that first, that raises an important point, which is to be able to leverage artificial or assisted intelligence and generative AI. You do need to have a foundational modern data state, right? The data needs to be accessible for any of these tools to query it, right? So Now, to your point about predictive uh, maintenance, if you have the data that you can look at what is happening with asset performance, and if you have IoT sensors or some real or video that gives you some real time access to what's occurring with your assets, then you can use that data to identify again anomalies, maybe you know some triggers that are approaching a threshold that something is going to break before it breaks. And then that can trigger a notification to take proactive measure to to eliminate the problem or address the problem before it becomes a big problem. You brought up workforce and the challenges with the the gray tsunami that's coming, where it's I think I think sixty five percent of transit employees are are fifty five and older. And one of the areas everyone talks about, like, is autonomous vehicles. Let's just have let's have robot buses driving around the street. And which seems to make sense from the chronic driver shortage, but there's a human cost. So do you see AI replacing people wholesale, you know, both on the front lines and the back office? Or is it more of like something augmented? Where is that human connection, that human cost to adopting these new technologies? I think that most technology advancements, um, when used appropriately, enable 
humans to do the work that's value add and important to them and removes the burdensome work that most humans are not interested in doing anyway. So I do not see humans disappearing from either the back office or the or the front lines. But I think that, you know, there's, again, assistive ability to identify route optimization, right? So when these buses are circling um, on a fixed path, because that's the way it's always been done, versus looking at surge and volume and, you know, I'll use an airport parking economy lot uh, route as an example, right? Do you really need to just have the buses circling on a fixed route and then when I'm running for the bus, I have to wait 10 more minutes because I just missed it. Whereas if you could use these types of technologies to identify uh, the best use, the best route so that it's a more sustainable approach, you know, you can lever leverage autonomous um, equipment to do some of those things, but there's still going to be a human that's monitoring for safety purposes and for efficiency purposes. Yeah, I, I'm pretty skeptical that autonomous vehicles will be replacing drivers uh, in the next decade, um, particularly on a transit vehicle where, you know, a, a conventional ICE bus is probably half a million dollars. When you start talking about an EV or, you know, seven, eight hundred thousand, maybe up to a million by now. And then if you think about making that autonomous um, is a transit agency going to be comfortable sending that fleet out with no one from the agency, you know, responsible for monitoring it? And I think, too, one of the really positive changes in the transit industry in the past few years is a greater focus on customer experience. And I think uh, the the role of uh, an employee on the vehicle may become more like an ambassador or, you know, someone assisting with wayfinding and navigation um, because some of the more burdensome manual duties might be replaced with technology, but I don't see I don't see driverless buses um, in great numbers anywhere anytime soon. Thank you. Last question is: Let's take a look over the horizon, uh, look into the future. Uh, Eve, what are some of the most exciting applications so I think that, that you see um, that, with that all uh, aren't of quite the, out yet, but are um, coming soon? Investment in modernizing our critical infrastructure through the planning, design, and construction, uh, implementation, maintenance, life cycle. There is so much opportunity to use all of these technologies along various points um, in that program. So I think that from the ability to start planning and anticipate, you know, what if scenarios and uh, really querying the, the responses that you get and modeling different types of outcomes and being able to see across the journey life cycle. You know, if we in the airport space, you know, move the, the people from the curbside into the facility in a different way, how does that impact lobby management or security checkpoints or dwell time on the air side? You know, once you get past security, um, identifying, you know, if you move the rental car center or how you how you get there, what's the impact on how you're moving your luggage, you know, for for bag drop, that sort of thing. And then future, you know, so there's so many different points across the planning cycle. Once you've actually done the construction, it's really hard to go back and make different changes. So if you can anticipate that better and then um, think about all of the future outcomes that we haven't even envisioned yet, but being able to take this technology into that planning and design consideration and then through the life cycle of managing those those assets um, on the other end. I think there will ultimately be um, a, a 
massive spike in data sharing and data ability for all of the different stakeholders across these different um, these different programs to interact better and provide a better customer outcome. Thank you. How about you, Renee? Yeah, I, I'd say for me, um, I'm really excited about how we can do a better job of leveraging insights from the data we already have and focusing on the gaps in our knowledge about how mobility systems operate and how they function on a day-to-day level. And whether that's, you know, being able to uh, have cameras that are on a public street gathering information about um, transit performance or rider experience. I think there's a lot of opportunity um, to do a better job of data sharing, as Eve mentioned, and for agencies to really harness the power of the data that they've already paid to collect and uh, just analyze it in a more useful way to do the work of government better. That's great. Thank you. And thank you both for being with us today. Tris, any final thoughts? You know, this is just such an amazing space that is, as we both of you said at the beginning, has been around for a long time, but is only kind of now come into the zeitgeist where people are asking the important questions. I I think the best is yet to come. I think the coolest things of predictive maintenance, of dynamic route changing and planning are really the places where agencies are going to make things so much better for everybody in transit. McCall, Renee Autumn Ray, thank you for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. And really, it's our first program where we've really had a deep dive into AI. And so thank you for kind of guiding us along the way. We're also excited to have you uh, most likely as our first Uh, video podcast that we've done uh, that'll be shared uh, not only on our network, but also on the new transportationchannel.com, which is a distribution partner for our program. And so thank you for sharing that video asset today. So if you're listening and you wanted to see uh, the mechanic using that, uh, using that piece of that device, you'll have to watch it on one of the, uh, one of the broadcast platforms. Thanks again for being with us on Transit Unplugged as we get away to how public transportation is enabling a brighter future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Wow, that's a heady conversation about the use of AI in public transit. Eve McCall and Renee Autumn Ray obviously really know their stuff. I feel especially reassured by their clarity and transparency in this discussion about just exactly what it means to use AI and just how it's being used in our systems. That makes me think about how we can best reassure our riders and the public about many of our decisions. It starts, of course, with being a good public citizen. There's not much marketing can do about that, but marketing can help you tell the story of your organization's good intentions and projects. When you think about the best channels to tell those stories, third-party validation of your messaging is your strongest ally. That means working with your local media to get stories out, whether in press releases, interviews, or prearranged feature stories that you work closely with journalists to create, perhaps giving one media source exclusive rights to share specific details. Another form of third-party validation is gained by working with your local community partners, especially if your news relates to their audience. For example, if you have news related to a new scheduling or fare technology that will impact senior citizens and their use of transit, Can you work with your local senior services departments to get the news to their members? Their members are more likely to believe and see messaging that comes from an organization they already know and trust. If you'd like to talk more about using your communications channels to build more trust in your community or anything else related to communications and public transit, 
look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged with our special guests, Eve McCall and Renee Autumn Ray. What does learning and practicing a martial art have to do with being a transit leader? Well, you'll find out next week when you listen to Paul's interview with Carl Sidoric, CEO of the Monterey Salinas Transit Agency. You'll learn how his practice of martial arts has influenced his leadership, and you'll learn all about this dynamic transit agency on the sea and over the hills, helping connect a diverse community. While you're listening to the show, could you do us a favor? Take a moment to rate and review Transit Unplugged wherever you listen to podcasts. Rating and reviewing Transit Unplugged lets other people find the show and join our transit community. If you have a question or comment, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.